Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 168 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always, and we're back to discuss the first wave of bowl games, along with what we're watching in the contest over the next week. Bowl season is usually full of opt-outs, and obviously this year is no different, which certainly does water down some of these matchups, but we've also seen Bowls outright canceled due to COVID-19, in addition to all the programs that opted out themselves as a whole. Really an unprecedented bowl season for sure, Tony. Will there be any lasting effect from an NFL draft perspective? No, I don't think so. Because, you know, as you said, a lot of times uh, prospects uh, from first rounders literally to last day guys will opt out of the uh, opt out of the bowl games. In some cases, for good reason, they're injured and they want to start their draft preparation uh, earlier. And the only w- way they can do it is by getting healthy again. Other guys just are like are, are, have had enough of it. So I don't think it will. I mean, what happens occasionally is a guy will come out of nowhere in a bowl game and, and play lights out. And then all of a sudden he may hop on the roster uh, at the last second and people may go back and watch uh, film on him to make sure they're not missing on the player. But there were, you know, I don't think that that was going to happen. We did, have, like you said, a couple of bowl games canceled, a couple of bowl games, a couple, a lot of teams that didn't play in bowl games. I did think it was an injustice that UAB, uh, had the Conference USA champion, wanted to speak about this last week, Conference USA champions had their uh, bowl game canceled and they were basically left out in the cold. They couldn't find a place to play, which I, I thought was uh, a little bit disconcerting. I didn't think it was fair to them. I'll get to this week's show in just a minute. But first... A word from our sponsor. The NFL and college football playoffs are right around the corner, in addition to the NBA and college basketball. With all these sports going on, there are plenty of bets to lock in. So if you're thinking about picking the Lakers to repeat their NBA championship or someone upset Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, you need to go to betonline.ag. The Heisman race continues to swing. Devonta Smith, receiver from Alabama, is now listed as a heavy favorite after he became the first receiver to win the AP player of the year award. Well-deserved. I mean, a guy who was really good last year, Devonta Smith, who just showed great improvement. And I feel pulled Mac Jones, who a lot of people are falling in love with as far as the Heisman's concerned and the NFL draft is concerned, pulled Mac Jones along with him. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, bet online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. It is now official. The New York Jets will be picking second overall in the 2021 NFL Draft after another win against the Browns, who were so now, I can't say banged up at receiver because it was all high, um, high risk, close contacts for COVID-19, but they played Jamarcus Bradley 77 snaps last week. 
because none of their top four guys could play. I mean, Brathy is a guy that, Tony, we discussed him last draft season as a potential depth guy at the NFL level. Not a guy that you want playing almost 80 snaps as a rookie, though. So obviously the protocols for the high-risk close contacts gave the Jags a bit of an early Christmas gift in this one. Not that they really needed one anyway, but Tony, let's go on the record again this week. There was so much talk of Trevor Lawrence to the Jets, whether he'd declare, whether he'd pull an Eli Manning, even a Peyton Manning. Now all of that is dead. And there's really no clear number two prospect right now with the struggles of Justin Fields in this shortened season. What does New York do with the second pick? Typical Jets, huh? But listen, it should be a surprise to no one because if you listen to this podcast numerous times in October and through November, I said what I expected to happen was that the Jets were going to go on a three-game win streak at the end of the season and basically blow that first pick of the draft or lose out however you want to. Now they've won two of three. We'll see what happens against the Patriots on Sunday. But as far as on the record's concerned, I think you're going to hear tons of speculation. I think you're going to hear a ton about the Jets trading the pick. I think when all is said and done, they're going to take a quarterback. And I think that quarterback could be Zach Wilson for a couple of reasons. First thing is Joe Douglas and whoever the new head coach is has absolutely no ties to Sam Darnold, who really the past two years, his play has been anywhere from poor to spotty. Number two, they're going to want to start over. A new coach is going to likely start over with a new quarterback. And I think Zach Wilson, he may not have the same physical skills as far as Justin Fields. He may not have the same arm strength as Justin Fields, but this guy really gets it going on. He really has it going on between the ears. I've watched a lot of film of BYU in the lead up to this podcast. He is smart. He is poised. He is a tremendous leader. He knows how to push the ball down the field and move the chains, knows how to get his team into the end zone, uses all his receivers. Everything I heard is that Zach Wilson is going to be a great interview in the lead up to the draft. Everything I've heard from league insiders that I trust, guys who are very good with quarterbacks, say that Justin Fields may be, even if Justin Fields is selected ahead of Zach Wilson, they feel two or three years down the road, Zach Wilson will be the better quarterback, if not earlier, because he processes things much better than Justin Fields. So, you know, the Jet fans are obviously upset because they're not getting Trevor Lawrence, understandably so, because he's a once in a lifetime uh, quarterback prospect. But there are still a lot of good quarterbacks available in this year's draft. Guys who I think will be better than the disappointment that Sam Darnold has been on the NFL level. So on the record, I think the Jets will take a quarterback with that second pick. I'm leaning towards Zach Wilson right now. Yeah, I mean, we've been really beating the drum for Wilson since a couple of weeks into the season. Uh, you know, we were talking about him versus Trey Lance before it was a thing. And now no one even discusses Trey Lance and, and granted out of sight, out of mind a little bit. Um, but Trey Lance isn't really in that top three quarterback discussion right now. It's Wilson, it's Fields and it's Lawrence. And the reality is a lot of people do want the Jets to trade the pick if there was going to be continuity at head coach, maybe I think they would consider rolling Sam Darnold out for another season. But the fact is that they are bringing in a new head coach. Adam Gase is gone, no matter if they finish the season on a win streak or not. And as you said, Joe Douglas has no ties to Sam Darnold either. So they can get out very easily and they can start over with a guy that they feel is the best pick for their future. You like Wilson. I mean, I like Wilson too. I'm going to go with Justin Fields here though. They're not going to trade this pick. It would be very surprising if they traded this pick for all the reasons I just laid out. Panay Sewell would be a great option for almost any other team, but to draft a guy after you just spent the number 11 pick last year on Mekhi Becton, who looks like a 
stud already. I mean, first play he stepped foot on the field, he was a stud. He's going to stay at left half. You don't want to move him to the right side. You don't want to move Sewell to the right side. So it's just kind of an overinvestment of resources in one position, as valuable as that position may be. But it's certainly not as valuable as the quarterback position where the team does need help. And Justin Fields is a guy that when you look at the Jets offensive line, it's not completely terrible. Uh, you know, it, it's cratered at times, but they've pieced together some pieces. They can make some slight improvements on it, but this isn't going to be an elite offensive line anytime soon. And obviously Zach Wilson can move a bit. He can get out of the pocket. He can escape pressure. He's not a statue in there, but Justin Fields has the potential to be a dynamic playmaker with his legs. I mean, that's something the Jets haven't had. I mean, really ever. I mean, unless we're going to go back to, you know, Quincy Carter days where he started a couple of games. I mean, the Jets really haven't had the guy who can win on the ground as well as in the air, you know, obviously fields. And we'll talk more about this later. He's really going to have to show pretty well this week against Clemson because otherwise he's going to have just no momentum heading into draft season. Uh, It's going to be, it's going to be a rough draft season for him if he doesn't come out and at least look pretty good against Clemson. But I think just for the fact that the Jets offensive line is not great and Justin Fields can give them so much with his legs, I'm going to lean fields, but I'm with you, Tony. I think they draft the quarterback here just because again, the head coaching change and the fact that Joe Douglas did not draft Sam Darnold, they will be more than willing to move on and get whatever they can for Darnold from another team that still believes in his talent. I'm going to disagree with you on one point and agree with you on another point. I'm going to disagree with you. Zach Wilson is a real good ball carrier. I mean, he is a guy that, and again, I just did a bunch of film work on him. He shows great vision, not only as a passer, but also as, as a ball carrier. And he can create yardage on the inside. He's not a breakaway threat, but, but he's a tough ball. Uh, he's a tough runner who finds ways to pick up yardage with his feet. I think the, the thing is, is when you watch him play, he only runs on design quarterback uh, plays or when it's absolutely necessary. I would agree with you. I, I, I see no value in drafting Penny Sewell with the second pick of the draft, because as you said, Jets look like they hit on Mekhi Becton. Why fix what is, what isn't broken at left tackle? Penny Sewell, do you want to move him to right tackle? Can he play right tackle? I mean, my biggest uh, problem with Penny Sewell's game is he's not a nasty, you know, punch in the face type of uh, offensive lineman that really looks to finish blocks. Do you want that type of guy at the right tackle spot? And the fact is, the Jets will probably be able to get a good potential right tackle later in the draft, whether it's with that second first round pick, if you're looking at maybe a Jalen Mayfield of Michigan or a Christian Darasaw, if you're looking at third round area, maybe fourth round area in a Josh Ball type of uh, offensive lineman, Spencer Brown of Northern Iowa. These are guys that can play right tackle in the NFL, and you don't have to expend the second pick of the draft on them. Granted, Sewell is a much better prospect. I just don't know that Sewell is going to be a much better right tackle. Yeah, I mean, the reality is if you were to draft Sewell there, you're going to have to move Makai Becton to right tackle because you know he can play the position. Uh, he was a right tackle before he came into the league. So you know he can play that spot. You would have to move him there. And then what you're doing is you're kind of devaluing a pick that you made last year that, you know, looks like a complete home run so far. So, you know, while Sewell would be a great addition, it comes at an opportunity cost, whereas the quarterback decision doesn't really come at an opportunity cost. I mean, listen, I, I still somewhat believe in Sam Darnold, but at the same time, I'm not going to pass on one of these guys, whether it's Fields or Wilson, to give Darnold another chance and just say it was all on Adam Case because what if it wasn't 
then you're punting another year. You're looking down the line again at a new quarterback and you have a couple guys. Yeah. They're not Trevor Lawrence, but they're staring you right in the face. I mean, yeah, Wilson may not be the level of dual threat that fields is, but as you said, he can move, he can get outside. He just doesn't do it at the expense of staying in the pocket and looking downfield to make even bigger plays. Knowing that, as you said, he's not that breakaway threat. Who's going to put, you know, 40 and 50 yard runs on tape. The problem with Darnold is there's only a few games or a few plays that you can put your finger on to say, yeah, you know, this is the guy that we're going to have for the future. And you've got one year to do it because next year is the fourth year. And then you have to decide whether you're going to give him the fifth year option. And you're doing it with a brand new coach in a brand new system. And if it doesn't work out, you're starting from scratch, the quarterback position. Uh, which is a dangerous thing unless James Morgan somehow pans out. And I like James Morgan, but I like him as a backup. I wish the Jets had actually inserted him in the lineup or Gase had put him in the lineup to see what we had or, or, or what the Jets didn't have. Uh, I will disagree with you, though. I, I think the majority of it is on Gase's shoulders. If it's not 100%, uh, if Darnold's failures are not 100% on, on Gase's shoulders, it's 99.9%. I mean, you look at the way Darnold played the bottom the last half of his of his rookie season in the NFL and there was reason for excitement and it's been downhill ever since oh I think you misunderstood me I place most of the blame here on Adam Gase because like you said Darnold showed plenty of flashes as a rookie you know people were excited about him and rightfully so and then he's taking a complete nosedive now um but even if you get him away from Adam Gase yes it'll be his fourth season as you said they have to pick up the fifth year option it's going to be his third system that he's going to have to learn already in his career. That's a lot to throw on a young quarterback since the Jets are going to be starting fresh. Anyway, it just makes so much sense to just kind of go with a reset at the position, even though it's kind of a raw deal for Sam Darnold. Now onto what we saw from the start of bowl season with so many programs opting out of bowls this year, as we mentioned in the intro, two teams without winning records met in the new Mexico bowl, the 28, 14 win for Hawaii over Houston, Hawaii wide receiver Rico Bussey, didn't play. If he did, I didn't see him out there. Certainly didn't make any sort of impact on the game. Teammate Jared Smart, just three catches for 33 yards and a very run-centric game plan for Hawaii. Did show very strong hands, though, when he did get targeted. Showed some sideline awareness and route running chops, too. So definitely looks like a solid player, although he didn't do any of that damage against Houston cornerback Demarion Williams, which is kind of the matchup we were looking at heading into the game. Not really a ton from an NFL draft point of view going on in this game. Tony, what'd you say? Yeah, basically that's it. I mean, uh, Jared Smart was okay. He's a guy who is not going to get drafted. He's basically a, a slot receiver and a return specialist. Tough, tough little player, a guy who can separate, but he's got some size as well as speed deficiencies in the sense that he's not fast enough to make up for his lack of size. Marion Williams really didn't do too much, which is not necessarily a bad thing because you're talking about a cornerback who wasn't beaten. And I think Rico Bussey, his draft stock is in a bit of trouble. I mean, here, here's a guy who uh, last year when he was on the North Texas roster was graded as a potential fourth round pick transfers to Hawaii. Again, scouts grade him as a, a potential fourth rounder has really been very inconsistent and someone who has not shown much in the way of production. I think he had one catch. Uh, I'm sorry. One game early in the Hawaii season where he had like eight receptions and if you watch his uh, game film, it's very uninspired. So a guy who I think really needed a big season to hold on to that fourth round grade that scouts had originally given him, I think now he's going to fall out of draft altogether. 
Now, Liberty knocked Coastal Carolina from the ranks of the unbeaten with a 37-34 win in the FBC Mortgage Cure Bowl behind four rushing touchdowns from quarterback Malik Willis. Short but stocky center Sam Thompson had a pretty nice game on the pivot, really helped keep Ross Rusins in check along with others along that offensive line. I mean, Rusins, number one, he did not record a stat in this game. Number two, he did not have any non-statistical impact in this game. It's not like he was pressuring the quarterback and just didn't get there or was rerouting running backs. I mean, he just did nothing. He was completely erased from this game, which certainly is not good for his draft stock. As we discussed on the preview, tight end Isaiah likely, this guy can really move five catches, 84 yards and one touchdown, nice agility and yards after catch ability. In addition to the athleticism to threaten the seam. So he's really an intriguing player who kind of fits the mold of the modern move tight end in the NFL. Now, in addition to those individual performance, just a really fun game overall, kind of a shame it had to end on a missed field goal in overtime, but really after Liberty jumped out to a quick early lead, it was good to see Coastal fight back and and really make it a fun game. Yeah. Another terrific game, by Coastal Carolina, I mean, they, their head coach was just uh, awarded coach of the year honors deservedly. So, I'm going to disagree with you, though. Yeah, I know Rosen's really didn't tally any any tangible statistics. But if you watch the game early on, Coastal Carolina could do nothing between the tackles. C.J. Maribel could not run. Uh, Rosen's was, was basically, basically holding up uh, the linemen. They had to uh, revert to double-teaming Rosen's. And again, while he wasn't getting much penetration, he was doing a good job occupying gaps. And finally, what happened was Coastal Carolina almost consistently went outside around tackle, went around the, uh, the perimeter. And that's where they, where they started to, uh, to catch up because they were down at one point. They were down, what, 14 nothing. C.J. Maribel, who's usually very uh, reliable, and he's a good interior runner, even though he's a little bit small, only had 43 yards. Uh, so what happened was late in the game, Rusin's really just got tired. He wore down. I mean, he is a big man who has got a lot of upside and, but just needs to learn to be a, a football player. Uh, use that size early to his advantage, but just kind of wore down. And that's where, you know, Coastal Carolina came back, took the lead. And, and like you said, it was a terrific game at the end. And let me just say, Isaiah likely. Wow. I, I mean, here is a guy that if you read me over this, over the summer, I gave him a, a sort of a wait and see type grade he has consistently moved up my draft boards. I have him right now as a potential third rounder. I'm told he's going to go back for his senior season and expect likely to be one of the highest graded senior tight ends before the 2021 season begins. He's a guy that basically plays the tight end position like a fast possession receiver. If there is such a thing, consistent hands, Blocking is not his forte, but it's not due to lack of effort. I mean, he gives a lot of effort, and he is just an, a sensational prospect for the next level. Now, speaking of almost blowing early leads, Oklahoma State looked like it was going to blow out Miami after a 21-0 first quarter, but only won 37-34. Tylen Wallace and Dylan Stoner, pretty quiet in this one. More on Wallace in a little bit. But Brennan Presley, six catches and three touchdowns after he had just one catch all season. Broke Bubba Bolden's ankles with a move after the catch on his second touchdown. Speaking of safeties that defend the run very well, we mentioned Bolden, but Trey Sterling everywhere on defense in this game. 13 tackles, two and a half for a loss, half a sack, one pass breakup. I mean, not only is he making 
you know, plays down the field, but he's making plays behind the line of scrimmage. He's just making impact plays. That defense is a lot different with him out there. He just finds the football. A Brevin Jordan for Miami, eight catches, 96 yards, and two touchdowns. I mean, he's no Kyle Pitts, who is. He's not even really Pat Fryermuth, different type of player. But all that means is that NFL teams are not going to have to overpay for a guy that really does have an intriguing skill set. He's got yards after catch ability, gets the ball and reverses. So great strength and concentration on his one-handed touchdown catch through pass interference. But I do want to get back to Wallace really quickly. Six catches for 45 yards in the first half. Didn't play most, maybe even all, of the second half due to not an injury, but it seems like he just essentially opted out in the middle of the game, which, I mean, if you're going to do that, why play in the first place? Um, did you hear anything about, you know, the thought process behind this, or have you ever heard anything uh, in the scouting community, Tony? Nothing at all, other than Wallace announced today that he's entering the draft, and it's kind of funny, you know, in the COVID-19 world, with the NC2A uh, offering seniors another year of eligibility if they want it, fourth-year seniors, fifth-year seniors, you know, now you're reading about all these seniors who are declaring for the draft. So uh, I think the fact that Wallace declared for the draft right after this game and the fact that didn't play the second half of the game, I, I think it's not a coincidence. I-, I mean, as far as the game was concerned last night, you saw the Brevin Jordan that scouts really want to see. And, I mean, if he had played this sort of at this sort of level throughout the season, you're talking about Brevin Jordan as a potential top 42 pick. He may still go in the early part of round two if he declares for the draft because teams love his upside, but he's kind of, he was being kind of up and down. He disappears for, uh, for stretches or he disappeared for stretches during the 2020 season, but he's an athletic guy with a high upside who just really needs to learn to be a football player. And hopefully whether it's in the college level or on in the NFL, and I hope he stays for one more year because I think he would really benefit uh, from another year of college ball. You know, we see what Brevin Jordan could potentially be, or we saw what Brevin Jordan could potentially be last night. Now on to this upcoming week's bowl games, a couple of New Year's Eve contests. First one kicks off at noon. Tulsa faces off against three and seven Mississippi State in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Yes, I said three and seven. But anyway, Zaven Collins has already opted out of this game. The Tulsa linebacker is a potential first round pick. So no reason for him to really play in this kind of bowl game. But Tulsa does still have some interesting prospects on the offensive side of the ball. Center Gerard Wheeler, wide receiver Keelan Stokes, and tight end James Palmer. Stokes, 37 catches for 527 yards and two touchdowns in eight games. Very solid player. Doesn't really stand out in any one aspect of the receiver position. But I do wish Tulsa used Palmer a little bit more. Just two catches this year. But he is a good athlete. Could have seen some of E-Roll Thompson in coverage in this one. Thompson kind of more of a downhill in the box type of linebacker. So it would have been kind of interesting in matchup terms to see him against an athletic H-back type like Palmer. K.J. Costello has not played significant snaps in two months. What was once really a golden opportunity for him to improve his draft stock in a Mike Leach offense, and especially after that five-touchdown opener against LSU. I mean, that really just quickly turned sour on him. I think he threw one touchdown pass the rest of the way before he was benched. And obviously wide receiver Osiris Mitchell has kind of gone down with the ship as well. Hasn't done much since his seven-catch, 183-yard, two-touchdown opener. What are you watching for in this one, Tony? Yeah, and let's not forget Kylan Hill, who uh, you know entered the season as a potential day two pick, uh, 
had a, a strong first game, was complaining because he wasn't getting the ball enough and then left the team. So another Mississippi State player who, under first-year head coach Mike Leach, senior anyway, that has watched their uh, draft stock uh, drop precipitously. Uh, I, I'll correct you on one, on, on one thought there. Zayvon Collins is going to be a first-round pick. It's just a matter of how early he goes. I mean, I think he's the guy who could eventually be a top-15 pick when scouts look at the uh, game film and he tests uh, pre-med major. He's got great instincts. He plays smart football besides the fact you know, that he's a forceful guy. He's a throwback-type linebacker. In the day and age where teams are taking guys that are six-foot-tall, 220 pounds, and running the four sixes uh, you know, in the top 15, here in Zayvon Collins, you got a guy that's 6'3", 250 pounds, almost a, a, a Leighton Van Der Esch type, except he's more forceful and he's a little bit faster. You mentioned Asarius Mitchell. I, I think there's going to be a good matchup between Asarius Mitchell and Ty Neal Morton, the cornerback from Tulsa, who really no one talks about. I mean, here's a guy who wasn't uh, graded by scouts coming into the season. I don't know why. He goes about six foot tall, 200 pounds. Not the fastest guy in the world, but neither is Mitchell, but he's got real good ball skills, and he's very aggressive. Uh, this is a game that really after Collins and potentially Gerard Wheeler when he's at the top of his game, although his game has been a bit erratic this year, it's primarily last-day picks. Not only last-day picks, but guys that project as mid to late fifth-rounders on. Now at 2 p.m., the offer pad Arizona Bowl pits Ball State against San Jose State, two teams that we went over during conference championship week, we discussed cornerback Omechi Uzodama on that show. He'll be challenged in this one by Trey Walker and Bailey Gaither, a pair of talented San Jose State wide receivers. Linebacker Christian Albright may be tasked with covering Derek Deese a little bit, the seam-stretching tight end with good NFL bloodlines. If not Albright, maybe some safety Bryce Cosby as well. Now, Tony, really for a game that few are talking about, I think NFL scouts are absolutely going to be watching this one when Nick Starkle drops back the pass for the Spartans, just because of those players I mentioned. I absolutely agree. I, I mean, and this is a game that's going to get some national attention because it is on CBS national network, not CBS sports. I think this is the game that's replacing the sun bowl because the sun bowl was postponed. You know, you mentioned uh, Uzu, Uzu the Nima against the two San Jose state receivers. Let's not forget uh, Ball state's other cornerback, Antonio Phillips came into the season with six round grades from scouts. I have him as an undrafted free agent. He's the guy who really struggles to make plays with his back to the ball. And the way Trey Walker and, and Bailey Gaither, the San Jose State receivers, run routes and are able to separate, that could be the doom for Antonio Phillips if he can't find the ball. And those guys are separating on him, catching the ball and taking off after the catch. And, and I agree with you about the matchup we hopefully will see between Christian Albright and Derek Dees. Albright's been basically misused this year as a 3-4 outside linebacker, as a pass rusher up the field. I think he's done a good job with the tools at his disposal, but I think he's more of an off-the-ball type of coverage linebacker. And Derek Dees just gets better and better and better. It's funny. I talked to a West Coast guy who I know very well, asked him about Derek Dees. He wasn't familiar with him. He said, you know, is he coming out for the draft? I said, as far as I know, he's a fourth-year senior that scouts have just completely ignored. And you watch these, and I mean, he has his lapses. He'll drop an occasional pass, but he is a potentially dominant tight end if he learns to polish his game. And he's got good bloodlines because his father played all those years with the San Francisco 49ers. Now, the other three games we'll look at on today's show 
are all on New Year's Day, starting with the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl between undefeated Cincinnati and Georgia. And the most intrigue here comes when the Bearcats have the ball. Quarterback Desmond Ritter, an exciting dual threat quarterback, probably not a top 100 guy if he declares for the 2021 draft. But if he returns to school, there's always the chance that he can ascend beyond that valuation. And now the Georgia defense, I mean, whew, several talented corners on this defense. DJ Daniel, Tyson Campbell, Mark Webb, Eric Stokes. All those guys have NFL potential. Richard LeCount's part of that secondary too at safety. And then you have guys like Monty Rice and Aziz Ojolari, Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis as defensive tackles. I mean, almost this entire defense could play on Sundays. So I'll be really interested to see how Ritter fares in this particular matchup. Eric Stokes, the junior corner from Georgia, has already uh, announced that he's declaring for the draft. I expect Tyson Campbell to do much the same. A couple of matchups that I'm going to be looking for. Aziz Oljolari, the pass rusher outside linebacker, redshirt sophomore from Georgia, who I have graded now as a potential late first-round pick, a guy that we've talked about at length. We talked about him last summer. Going up against James Hudson, the left tackle from Cincinnati. Terrific left tackle. I think he may be better on the right side. I know that Hudson's considering entering the draft. I think like Desmond Ritter, as Chris mentioned, Hudson would really benefit from going back for another year. That is going to be a terrific matchup because Ojolari's forceful. He's athletic. He's fast. He's explosive. And Hudson's a big, strong guy. He doesn't, he's not fleet-footed, but he does a good job using body positioning and angles to protect the edge. So that is a, a, uh, a matchup to watch. And then James Wiggins, the safety, the uh, all-purpose safety, tough guy, smart guy, not the greatest athlete, against Trey McKitty, the tight end from Georgia, who's moving up draft boards. Similar sort of player uh, to Wiggins in the sense that not the greatest athlete, not the fastest guy in the world, but a tough, smart pass catcher who's also a real good blocker. If and when those two guys go head-to-head, as well as Cincinnati's uh, other safety, uh, Derek Foster, that's going to be a, a enjoyable wa- matchups to watch. Now at 4 p.m., the first of the two college football playoff games between Alabama and Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl presented by Capital One. Plenty of intriguing individual matchups, even if the game itself probably won't end up being all that special. Dedekumbo, Ogundeji, Notre Dame's up-and-down pass rusher, will match up often against the very consistent Alex Leatherwood, the left tackle for Alabama, Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa, the star Irish linebacker, is going to be asked to contain Najee Harris. Best of luck to him in that battle. Devontae Smith should have another big game on the way to the Heisman Trophy, potentially. And now when the Irish have the ball, watch for the trenches. Bama's Christian Barmore against Notre Dame guard Aaron Banks, probably the headline matchup in there. Dylan Moses, the linebacker for Arkansas, may see a lot of freshman tight end Michael Mayer, obviously not draft eligible for Notre Dame, but somebody who looks likely to be at least a second-day pick down the line in a couple seasons. And Moses played about as well as anybody has against Kyle Pitts when they played against Florida. Now, that doesn't mean he stopped Pitts or even contained him, but nobody's done that, obviously. So he should be up, you would think, for this challenge against Mayer. What are you watching for, Tony? Yeah, I, I absolutely the Barmore a Banks matchup is something to keep an eye on. I'm told Barmore is going to enter the draft. I don't know that he should. He's a little bit spotty. He's explosive at times, and then he's taken from the action on occasion, but that will be a matchup to watch. I think that this is a game that will shape the draft grade or the final draft grade for Ian Book. You really don't like to uh, grade a player on a single game but the fact is Alabama's defense has been victimized throughout the season. 
We saw it against Mississippi. We saw it against Florida in the SEC title game. They've had their struggles at times. So we'll see if Book really can establish himself as a passer against a, uh, you know, a defense that has some really good names on it, but has consistently been victimized. And in that sort of vein, you got to look at Javon McKinley, the uh, receiver who was graded by some scouts as a third rounder, 6'1", 215 pounds, going up against Patrick Sertain, who's going to be selected early, even though you know, he, has, uh, he has his lapses on the field. Same thing with Josh Job, as we saw during the SEC title game, looks fantastic on occasions and other times looks very pedestrian. So I think for Book and McKinley, these are both big games to see if they can exploit an Alabama defense that has been exploited throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, if Book can't exploit this defense, it's not necessarily that it's going to be a huge knock on him because, as you said, there's a lot of names and there's a lot of talent. But, I mean, he's a guy that a lot of people do like him, but really he's only going to be like a sixth or seventh round pick at best. He's not a guy, you know, that's going to – creep even early on to day three. He just doesn't have the, the kind of arm talent to do that. But if he can show well against Alabama with his dual threat capability uh, and his smarts, like he can at least convince teams that maybe he can be, you know, like a, a Trace McSorley type, uh, you know, he can go late on day three, be a second, third string quarterback who you, you might feel comfortable putting into a game at some point. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, he can definitely help his case here, but I'm not sure he can actually hurt it that much compared to where his stock is. Depends on his passing. I mean, we all know he's a good runner, and, and that is really what kept Notre Dame alive in some of the games that they were close in this year. The Clemson game, uh, his ability to scramble. Uh, want to see him as far as his passing ability against a, a team that's got a lot of talented defensive back seven players. Now, the nightcap and certainly the more interesting game of the college football playoff matchups, Clemson against Ohio State in the All-State Sugar Bowl. Even if it's more interesting, it's still setting up most likely to be an Alabama-Clemson battle for the national title. But Justin Fields, I mean, we talked about him a lot when we were on the record. Seems like just a few weeks ago, we were throwing cold water on the battle between Fields and Zach Wilson. And now, obviously, Wilson stayed hot. Fields had another poor game against Northwestern. And, you know, this battle is neck and neck at this point. I mean, this Clemson defense is obviously legit. One of the best defenses in the country. So he's not going to have it easy. His receivers, including Chris Olave, will get to face off against Darion Kendrick, who's had a nice season, the cornerback for Clemson. This is just overall a really, really big game for Fields because if he falls flat on his face again, it's going to be a draft season full of questions about Justin Fields. If he comes out and he goes bonkers and Ohio State can pull off an upset in this game, then it'll be back to, to everything roses. Obviously, there's a lot of in-between to those two scenarios, but I mean, really, you're going to have to watch Justin Fields on this one because it's a massive game for his draft stock. Even if his team loses, uh, he just needs to leave with some positive momentum, especially since Trey Sermon might not have the holes to run through that he did against Notre Dame. I mean, you could drive a truck through some of those holes. Obviously, on the Clemson side, watch Trevor Lawrence, watch Amari Rogers against Sean Wade, both on the outside and also potentially from the slot since Wade played the slot last year. He's no stranger to working inside. Travis Etienne against the OSU linebackers, Tough Borland, Pete Werner, Baron Browning, a lot of skill position intrigue in this game. Hopefully it's a good one. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, Clemson plays great team defense. They don't have any stars, you know, like they did three years ago when you had the Lawrence and, and uh, Christian Wilkins and, and Cleveland Farrell and, and even had the the, uh, the fourth guy whose name escapes me, who was a last day pick. I, Austin Bryant. 
Exactly. You basically had superstar talent on that defensive line. They really don't have that. And they just play real good team defense. I like Kendrick. I like him a lot. I'm looking forward to the battle against Olave. Olave is a guy who I don't think he's going to squeak into the late part of round one, but I think he's an early second round choice. I think Kendrick has shown a lot of improvement at times. Uh, teams have just purposely stayed away from him. Uh, so that, that's going to be a battle to watch. Obviously, James Skowski, who we mentioned, the, the linebacker from Clemson, not the biggest guy in the world, but someone you definitely want on your side in the bar fight because he is as tough as they come going against the large uh, Ohio State running backs, whether it be uh, Trey Sherman, who had the great game in the, uh, in the Big Ten uh, title game, or it's Master Teague, another guy who you know runs straight ahead as like a, a runaway uh, locomotive. That's going to be a big challenge for Skowski. And again, you know, let's see what Travis ATN can do against probably one of the most talented linebacker core in the nation in Werner, in Baron Browning, and in Turf Borland, who I think is very underrated. That's it for the 168th episode of the Draft Analyst presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and review. And feel free to ask us any questions or give any feedback you may have as well. We'll be back next week to go over what we saw during those upcoming bowl games. And maybe we'll finally be able to move on from talking about the play of our New York Jets. But until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.